So we've uh, arrived at the end of the third day of our retreat, slogged through the day, <laughs> as someone said in one of our interview groups. <laughs> uh, we're sloggers, not meditators. <laughs> so uh, actually, um, this term meditation the, is uh, perhaps a little bit of a, a narrow definition from one of the uh, ways that the Buddha talked about what we're doing. The term he used was bhavana, which has the, the sense of cultivation, uh, developing as if we're cultivating a garden, almost, a garden of the heart, garden of the mind. And it's, a, it's a, broad, a broad term, so it gathers in not only this activity of sitting on the, in silence and inwardly contemplating, but it gathers in all our activity, um, the intentions behind our actions, our daily life, um, all our experiences can become ground, a ground for cultivation, not just a special circumstance or special states of mind. So I think this is a helpful way of understanding this uh, path of transformation um, so that it not to put over, overly emphasize in the meditation retreat, um, just, ha- just uh, aiming for uh, uh, a special kind of state that we hope we can maintain and then feel like we've somehow lost it when that changes and instead of being calm or peaceful or tranquil we find ourselves struggling through, uh, through the day or we find ourselves sleepy or we find ourselves with discomfort or irritation or resistance or restlessness, boredom. But all of this too uh, is important uh, as a ground for practice. So it's, um, as we've said, it's, uh, you know, it's challenging. Three days, usually the first three days of a retreat, sort of crucifixion, <laughs> death and re- hopefully resurrection. <laughs> takes about three days, uh, probably longer. This, um, you know, when <clears throat> this, this evening I, I'd like to... Um, you know, uh, talk a little bit more about the approaches to meditation or cultivation. But uh, before I, I do, I just want to emphasize or um, mention again something that's come up in the questions and come up in some of the groups, which is this practice of bowing that we've been doing in the early morning. And when we come into the shrine, we've been bowing um, as a way of preparing the heart or opening the heart or taking the body into an external mudra, an external shape, taking the head down to the ground as a way of cultivating an inner attitude and how helpful or how important that can be or that is. And for some it's uh, not comfortable or unfamiliar, for others it's more it's a, you know, a practice that one naturally can um, 
feel a sense of affinity with. It's um, being able to, particularly if we are meeting difficulty or we are challenged, this inner attitude, at first it's an external gesture of actually literally taking the body into a bow. Uh, I like that in me. In many traditions, this sense of just taking taking the body into that into that form. It's a sense of acknowledging a certain limitation of us as a a sense of self, as a sense of me being able to figure it all out, fix it all, and do it and uh, resolve everything. We we often operate from the premise, particularly in the face of so many challenges and such big issues. Uh, or even smaller issues that somehow I've got to, you know, be in control and figure it all out. Um, and there's a certain stress <laughs> in that. And there are, you know, definitely uh, many dimensions of life that we can't fix, many aspects of our external internal experience that we can't just overcome through an act of will or wishing it to be otherwise. That we find ourselves in the midst of being confronted by that which can be very difficult, very challenging. And so this bow is a way of of, uh, just releasing that sense of of the me uh, and opening. It's a a prayerful movement, really. It's a sort of an opening. It's a a giving up into. It's a, a giving up into a deeper listening, a deeper place of holding. You know, there's a way that we can learn to be with life, with that which is difficult, which isn't about having to fix and get it right, but it is about being able to hold uh, with a quality of awareness and compassion, gentleness. Not necessarily even holding to seek solution or resolve, but just being willing to be present to. And so this gesture becomes very meaningful, um, this inner gesture of bowing into the material of our experience uh, in, with this willingness to, to stretch and hold more gently, more patiently our experience, our humanity. It's often <clears throat> um, you know, just listening only through my own mind and other people's coming you know, through our small groups we've had today, yesterday, meeting everyone uh, sometimes I feel that we can, there can be a sort of a sense of, a, of almost like using meditation as, a, as, a, as an attack on our humanity. <laughs> and sort of trying to, to, which is natural enough, to use it to, to, to move away from that which is difficult and uncomfortable. You know, and in a way that's, that we can certainly develop a lot of skill to, to, to be more... Uh, you know, to free ourselves from that which is uncomfortable, suffering, or limited. But there's a certain way that if, if that's done without this deeper holding or compassion, then the meditation can become quite, uh, quite brittle, or quite harsh, or quite judgmental, quite disallowing. So just, you know, just, just not having really a quality of patience just to be there with the mind that's just droning on 
with <laughs> and droning on, you know, just sometimes we really want to just switch it off, you know, and, and just shut it up. And, and yet, you know, while that's very understandable, yet there is something about the willingness, you know, in the, you know, the willingness sometimes just to listen into that heart that's just droning, just uh, discontent, just feeling the sense of suffering, sort of willing to just hold that with a little bit more patience and compassion, all the pains in the body that we would like for magically somehow just to snap out of that, you know, just to have a method that can just quickly snap us out of these states of mind, these difficulties that can come up. So I don't think, I'm not sure that, I think meditation does, can fundamentally help us get uh, you know, a perspective, help us transform, help us uh, understand um, that which transcends the pain, the difficulty, the suffering, the challenge. There's that which does transcend. But it also, while doing that, while learning those skillful methods, uh, we shouldn't divorce it from a capacity for deepening our compassion, deepening our patience, deepening our willingness to be with our humanity, with life in all its unsatisfactoriness. Uh, Definitely the the (coughs) meditation is cultivating this capacity to, to, to know freedom, but it's also in tandem with the capacity to, to be, to know the place of compassion, to know the place of gentleness. Um, that's inherent within this, actually inherent within this heart, inherent within the same place where there is freedom. When, um, <clears throat> When I was training in the monastery, we had um, we had a, a monk, a senior monk, one of my teachers, who um, who, in his previous incarnation, before he was a, a monk, was a a, a, a um, U.S. Marine. He trained as a U.S. Marine and been in Vietnam, been a warrior of sorts, and uh, had been before that. Incarnation before that had been the sort of tough kid on the block, and you know had trained to to be aggressive, been very aggressive, and had transformed an enormous amount of that energy in his monastic training. Very impressive, very very impressive monk. And uh, at one point, he uh, quite a few years into into his um, training as a monk, into his life as a monk. Um, he was in conflict with, a, with another monk who he found very difficult. And they couldn't really resolve this conflict. And one day the conflict blew up over something, you know, usually it's usually something very petty in a monastery. <laughs> Where did you, did you take my cup? <laughs> You know, it's about as big as it can get. You don't have many possessions, <laughs> much territory for the self. You know, that's my that's my seat. <laughs> You're sitting on my inch of base there. 
So, but you know, this conflict blew up, and this this monk he said to this other 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 monk, he said, "Okay, let's I'll meet you outside. You know, we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll sort this out." You know, in in his marine style, and they kind of marched outside and and uh, squared off. And this this uh, this monk who who was a friend of ours uh, talked later about he could feel all this old karmic energy that of his warrior training, his aggression coming up and going into this kind of mudra, the fist mudra. <laughs> and at that moment he realized, you know, looked down, he saw his robes and, you know, realized he'd taken precepts, <laughs> one, one of which is not to thump monks, other monks on the nose. And instead he found himself bringing his palms together and going into a bow and just bowing before the other monk, and you know, for that moment, it wasn't the end of the conflict, but for that moment, it dissolved the power of the aggression, and it just shifted the whole dynamic, and you know, it blew them both away, and they they found themselves in tears, and and you know, hugging each other for a few moments until <laughs> it came. But this, you know, this is, you know, we can't always jump on the ground and bow. It's not always appropriate to do it in the workplace, maybe. Or maybe it is, you know, try it out. You never know. It could, it could be pretty, pretty dynamic. Uh, but, you know, this, when, we, when we are met with those energies that activate us, activate these places in us where, you know, we can be, as human beings, we can be very violent, we can be very aggressive, uh, we can be, you know, really uh, revengeful, um, and you know, even in subtle ways, even very spiritual ways, <laughs> we can actually hold a lot and uh, blame. But this this inner attitude of being able to just keep bowing through and opening and being willing to dissolve those those uh, that the hardening of the heart, the way the heart can harden in the face of that which which challenges our territory, however we understand our territory to be. So this, this, this attitude, uh, and then this attitude not only with others, but within our own, uh, you know, that which comes up, has come up today. Many have named very classical territories of challenge, of obstruction. In the first uh, few days, of the retreat, we've been working to just gather our attentiveness, bringing attention. Training is called samatha, samadhi training, calming, focusing, gathering, concentrating, bringing attention uh, to breath, to body. It's called the first foundation of mindfulness. Attentiveness, we've been training to whether we drag the attention back or we gently invite the attention back or to connect again and again with breath, with body sensation. You know, it's a patient, it's, it is a training, it's a skill. Um, and perhaps we might have even had a sense sometimes of what it's like to, to feel that sense of gatheredness when there's just, you know, the mind isn't running out through the sensory experience, through thinking, um, you know, distraction, wandering here, there, but it settles 
And I, I have the sense, the, you know, when the mind is more like that, it's, it has a more sort of solid consistency. It's, 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 it's married into the body, it's merging into the breath, and body, breath, mind, heart, merging into awareness. There's a sense of just, you know, just a, just, just a, a groundedness, a, a solidity, a lightness a brightness, a peacefulness, a, a contentment. These are the qualities of samadhi, the taste of samadhi. No need to go anywhere, a, a deliciousness even. So, you know, we can have moments of that. You can really sometimes, you know, with this practice, the, the, the fruit of that is this, uh, this, uh, this quality of peace, this quality of gatheredness. And when it's very matured in the Buddha, in a Buddha, in an awakened one, matured into what's called samasamadhi, ripened into a perfect, whole, complete, unshakable samadhi, <coughs> heart is unshaken, then whatever circumstance arises, there, there's the capacity, the mind is, the heart is in touch with the world, it can feel through sensory experience, through thought, the impact of the world, but it's not shaken. You know, whatever circumstance, one, you know, there's there's the ability for the heart, the this gatheredness to to be un- increasingly unshakable. You know, as as beginners with our training wheels, we come into a meditation retreat and we shut everyone down and everything down as much as we can, to to really try and you know get a sense in this more controlled environment, and with this training to to get a sense for maybe a bit a bit of a taste for this capacity for well-being that arises from within the heart, within the jitta, the heart, the mind, heart-mind itself. It's not dependent upon pleasing sights, sounds, feelings, company, uh, places. It's, it's, uh, it's independent from the circumstances of the world. This is something we can cultivate, this fruit, this fruit of this aspect of meditation. Um, Little by little, doing, you know, practicing these factors that we've been practicing, bringing the tension here to something very simple, the body, the body and the breath, receiving, experience of body and breath, savoring, relaxing within body and breath, relaxing more deeply into the moment, staying connected with, yeah, and little by little this fruit can arise. However, it's also susceptible you know, moments of peacefulness, moments of gatheredness, is also susceptible to disturbance, uh, to obstruction. And the more fully uh, we're here, then the more fully we begin to illuminate that which obstructs our capacity for gatheredness and peacefulness, for a deepening of rootedness in, in presence, trusting that we can begin to notice, rather than just be moved by the energies that pull us out, we can begin to notice that which obstructs. And in the, in the teaching, of course, for those of you that are old hands, you're familiar with the template of the five hindrances, uh, that which hinders, that which comes um, and, uh, and, pull, and pulls us out of a sense of centeredness, groundedness. 
So today we began to, in this samatil, this calming meditation, as it, we, we introduce what's called vipassana, the reflective meditation, that which reflects, the, the mind or the awareness is reflective. It can discern, it can know, it can reflect upon the nature of, of itself. Mind can reflect on its own nature and it can reflect on the objects of mind, that which passes through the awareness, that which passes through the jitta or the heart. There's this reflective capacity. So in, in this complementary meditation, the, the gathering, the samadhi, the focusing, which is a skill, it's complemented with this, this awareness of in this inquiry, this vipassana, this looking into the nature of mind itself, objects of mind. First of all, objects of mind. You might call them what um, one great Thai meditation master, Jan Li, called the mind and its activity, knowing the difference, knowing awareness and the activity that arises and passes within the field of awareness. So we get to know, and we can know that activity when it's hindering, when it's obstructing. The first, the first flow, if you like, or flood of that which hinders or draws us out or, or uns- that shakes the unshakable heart, wobbles us, is this movement of what's called kamatanha, Tanha means thirsting, literally. It means <laughs> this, this movement to, often it's translated as desire, but this movement out to find something that satisfies us, that fills us, that uh, fills that void, that uh, some kind of experience through, through you know, some you know, sensory experience. So you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes it's not even very specific. It's not even focused on a ob- particular object, but there's just this feeling of, of, of needing to go to the next thing. We're not even in a meditation retreat. We're not even quite sure whether there's not many options. So <laughs> you know, so may read the board again <laughs> and again. <laughs> okay, memorize that. Okay, looked at the chanting. You know, so, so we get to see that, you know, what's so interesting in a retreat is that there is not many places that energy can get born into. You know, in the, you know out there, in the, you know, when we've got our the TV and the computer and the f- friends and the fridge and the magazines and the next thing to do in the coffee shop, you know, there's like a billion places that that you know, very, you know, just very innocent places that that energy just goes into. It's me, it becomes me doing my thing. We actually literally get born as the desire. We become the desire, we find ourselves just moving from one to another. We never really get the chance to contemplate that energy. And, you know, when it's frustrated, boy, it really can let you know. Jin Chai used to call it the tiger in the cage. You know, in the, in the, you know, really can sort of, you know, so it can really scream at you sometimes. But I want <laughs> to whatever. <laughs> we don't even quite know, but it's just, 
you know. And so in, the, in this template, Kirisaro started the retreat by talking about, where con- the, in a way I prefer the word contemplate a meditation, to tell you the truth, is it this sense of a more, it's a more open, fluid, the contemplative process, we put ourselves in a template, in the temple, the limitation, so that we can contemplate, make conscious, illuminate, say, the energy of, of desire, not to judge it, not to repress it, not to condemn it, but to, to know it, to know it. You know, this is it, this is how it feels, this is the movement, this is the voices, this is the shape, this is the sense of self that it shapes into. If if we notice with our energy, it always, it's unsatiable, It's, it's, it's deluding because it always has the sense, if only I get this, then it will be the end, you know, so... So it has this feeling of, you know, it's like when we were kids, it's like, if only I just could get that toy, I promise I'll never ask for another one. <laughs> Please. <laughs> you know, so you know how long that lasts. And, and so, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, there's no end to it. And there's no end to this, this feeling of, of the, you know, this the satiation of desire. And it's part of the illusion of it. So... We, we have to consume the whole world and we still haven't been satiated. Yeah, so, so, so for us to, you know, as a human species, never mind ourselves personally, but to get some perspective on that energy <laughs> could, could help us be a bit more sustainable at the very least. But it's, you know, it's in terms of, a, in terms of as a meditation or as a meditator, or as a practitioner, uh, you know, it's being able to have moments of actually being liberated from the tyranny. It can be a tyranny uh, to be driven by that energy, by being able to to contemplate it. And so the steadiness of attention that we've been bringing moment by moment to the breath, to body sensation, we can bring that same quality of attention to contemplate, say, that that energy if it's arising you know how does it feel and, and then all of this the, the 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 brilliance of the buddha's teaching of rooting it back in the body you know how you know so in a way it's it, it moves under the cognitive framework justifications <laughs> of why it's such a good thing <laughs> which is very brilliant the mind justifying our desires but to actually begin to contemplate, how does it feel? And you feel the hollowness, maybe, that, that you know, the vacuousness, the emptiness that we feel, you know, and 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 actually realizing that the suffering is not so much in not feeding the desire, but the suffering is not really being properly attentive to that inner hollowness filling it with the right thing, filling it with awareness, with, our, with this compassion, with this listening, with this carefulness. So if that energy is not, you know, tricky enough to be with, then the second hindrance is, is, the, is, is, is the direct opposite of that. It's, the, it's connected, and they're often connected, but it's, uh, it's the feeling of, of not... Wanting, it's the feeling of not wanting, of aversion, of, of resistance, of, 
just uh, you know often we, we don't want what's here and that and then we want you know the desires moving into something else so this so underneath desire often will be or connected very very closely will be uh, will be the sense of of the resistance the aversion the difficulty of being with how it is I was talking this morning you know the story of Ajahn Chah of if it if it shouldn't be this way, it wouldn't be this way. You know, the, the difficulty of, of being with how it is in this moment, being with the body, being with ourselves, being uh, bringing attention and receiving the moments of our experience. You know, this 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 resistance, resistance. And again, it's it's you know not that we're trying to club away those energies or we're not trying to vault ourselves over or deny or repress or judge or condemn but the the practice of this awareness attentiveness is a moment of knowing just being able to know this is the experience of of aversion of of not wanting of 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 uh, irritation of, of, uh, of just you know, and it can it can take all sorts of shapes and forms and colours from the, the most you know the very profound sense of just not wanting to be here. Very you know very difficult, very difficult. Not wanting to be incarnated. Not wanting to be in our life. Um, not wanting sensory contact. It can be a real desire just to shut down and hide under the duvet kind of feeling. <laughs> You know, and and or to to just anger, and even you know hatred. So, or or this kind of more frozen, stuck place. You know, so all of those. You know, when as we become more awakened, we're we're not waking awakening in spite of those energies. We're awakening through them. So as we become, as we become more conscious, more aware, gather more awareness, we'll start to those places residual places, the hindrances will become more conscious, they will become more illuminated. And you know, the task of mindfulness, the task of awareness is just, you know, just to be able to, in the vipassana or the insight meditation, is just to have moments of being able to know, you know, this is how it is. This is how it is. To know, to withstand, to, 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 to stand under to contemplate, to be with, you know, to, to know the, the other hindrances of dullness, restlessness, dullness and restlessness, two ends of the same spectrum, being, just this heaviness, just slipping away. Again, it's another kind of form of, of, of resistance. Sometimes we can sleep for a day and then we can come and sit, and then we can just feel that sense of just going dull. There's a sort of subtle sense of aversion, boredom, that kind of feeling. Or sometimes the opposite. We just can't get settled. We feel very restless. We feel very worried, irritable, agitated, anxious, anxiety. 
And uh, you know, these, these very quickly be shape, very quickly, if we're not, if there's no capacity for some uh, reflection, some inquiry, we become those energies. We just become them and then we act out or we repress or we suffer or we struggle. So we get shaped, we, we live through, we live, those energies live us, shape us. And then the last great, we talked about it in the question time, the last, if that's not enough, <laughs> the, the last, these are just territories, they overlap and inter, in, intermingle, but this, this very subtle, insidious kind of uh, sense of self, sabotaging, doubting, um, lack of confidence, not sure what to do, not sure if it's right, please tell me, you should know. <laughs> um, that, this, this kind of doubting, undermining, it's not the doubt of inquiry and discernment, which, which can be very strong, positive, and important. It's very important for that kind of inquiry, discernment, to, to be healthy, to be to be checking, you know, discerning how is these, this landing, what's happening. But it's more that insidious, undermining, don't know energy. Uh, very connected with thinking, thinking, trying to think the answer, trying to find our way to solution, to resolution. Um, and then we find ourselves just spinning around and around. And maybe, maybe I could go and ask this person, they might know, <laughs> or that one. Um, you know, should, am I doing the right thing? Is this the right meditation? Should I be on this retreat? Maybe I should be doing the other one that I did. Maybe I should be going off and doing Hindu bhajans. Maybe I should be still you know, doing my Judaism or my Christianity. Or maybe I should just throw the whole lot out and go to the movies. <laughs> I'd go to that option if I was... <laughs> You know, so this, you know, and then we try and think our way out, you know, should I really, is this working, isn't it working? So it's a very, it's, it's, a, it's a very powerful uh, energy that, that, uh, that can take the wind out of our sails before you even got going, before you even got to one breath. <laughs> We've doubted everything. You know, we have, we, it's hard to try anything. So in, in this, this knowing, this vipassana, this vidya, this looking into with knowledge, the moment of knowing this is doubt, we know that that which knows doubt isn't doubtful. That which knows restlessness isn't restless. That which knows dullness isn't dull. That which knows aversion isn't averse. And that which knows desire isn't desire. So this might sound obvious and simple, but it's actually quite radical. <laughs> it's, a, it's a huge shift that begins to happen when that which has been the, se- the sense of subject, me, being those states, can be an object to the awareness, can be contemplated. You know, we can contemplate. How is that energy? What are the voices? What is the felt sense of it? What is the energetics within the body? What are the sensation? And this is the work of mindfulness. That, again, that which can, mindfulness is that which can contain, which can hold. It's the middle ground between becoming uh, the activity of the mind and denying and repressing. 
pushing away and feeling frightened of feeling those energies. Sometimes we use meditation to, because we, we don't want to feel those energies because they're uncomfortable or they're difficult to be with, so we want to use concentration to keep it all at bay. As Ajahn Chah said, it's a bit like, when we do that in meditation, it said it's a bit like you've got a rock and you just go poof on the grass that's growing underneath and you think that's great, there's nothing growing. But just keep that rock there and you, you use a lot of will, a lot of energy, a lot of control. Don't, t- don't speak. <laughs> don't come near me, I'm, I'm meditating. <laughs> and we're holding our meditation and you know, there's a lot of energy there and we feel like we're a pretty good meditator. You know, pretty peaceful and pretty calm, pretty tranquil, but just, you know, don't disturb me. You know, and then, and then we, one, one day we haven't got the energy to keep the rock there, to keep it all in place. You know, we get sick or we get exhausted or a huge hurricane comes through and throws, knocks the rock away. And then the hindr- these, these tendencies will come up. You know, these... Uh, These, these, like the grass will grow up. So Ajahn Charles said, you know, it's, it's, yes, it's good to gather. It's good to feel the sense of being out of focus and gather. But it's also, you know, meditation is important to be able to illuminate that which we feel disturbs us, to get to know it, to contemplate, so that that which knows, the awareness, we can begin to discern between the awareness and the activity of the mind. And then, you know, at first these, these hindrances are just, you know, they're hindrances, they're, they're a drag, they're, they're a problem, they're, they're hindering me. <laughs> I want to get rid of them, you know. And a, and a lot of that, in a way, today, there's been, you know, I guess for all of us, you know, in, in the interviews and the groups, there's a lot of, you know, how can I get rid of this stuff, actually? You know, how can the meditation just quicken, quicken it all away? And I always, I always feel very inadequate <laughs> because there isn't, there isn't really like a magic pill, I think, you know, to say, okay, just do this and it will just disappear. Just watch, watch the breath for a day, and then that's it. You know, it's it's you know, it'd be nice if that was the case. Yeah, so, yeah. so one one has to adjust the relationship to working. Uh, you know, and and we what we begin to realize that these these things that we feel disturb us, bug us, hinder us, whether it's arising from within the mind, whether it's disturbance arising from the outside, whether it's people in our life that's difficult, whether it's the larger stage of the world where things are, can be unbelievably challenging. You know, the suffering can be so profound, uh, so unworkable, so difficult, so overwhelming. That we're not going to magic it away. We're not going to. Nothing's going to magic magic it away. So, so you know, this when we begin to realize that the hindrances um, are part and parcel of our incarnation of our humanity, then um, we can perhaps begin to shift our attitude to realize that the very thing that hinders us can can become that which which strengthens us which grows 
and grows our capacity for awareness, for compassion, for mindfulness, for strength, patience. If we have patience, compassion, willingness to be here, there isn't really a big problem, actually. There are problems, but there is a way of being able to be with it. This is going on. And then when, you know, as I was saying the other night, then, you know, in this, in this retreat, in the, these small ways that we're learning to, to bear with, yes, restlessness or boredom or aversion, uh, moments of knowing, moments of knowing that we're, that that isn't the totality, doesn't define the totality of our being. that there's a shift that can begin to take place. There can be, there can still even be the, the hindrance, but there's a freedom from it. There's not the identification, there's not being shaped by it. There's the capacity to work consciously rather than be unconsciously swept away. And that's a very dynamic shift that can start to happen because it begins to encourage and allow for a fearlessness. We can begin to know that you know, whatever appears within the mind, you know, when, once we begin to taste and touch the ground of our being as knowing, as awareness, as capacity, then there, there's, the, there's the knowledge that there will be the ability to be with it, to bear it, to contemplate it, to open to it, to allow ourselves to be transformed by that which is challenging us, to deepen us into our compassion, into our understanding. And we can do that in small ways, then when big things come, we'll know how to practice, we'll know how to be with it. I was listening to a friend of mine in South Africa tell me about uh, a story that that happened to someone that she knew, uh, which really demonstrates a practitioner, what what can happen to someone that's a a practitioner when they really meet a very life-threatening situation. It's a a story that anyone in South Africa would, would be very familiar with because it involved a hijacking, which is very common there. Um, of, a, of a woman and her husband uh, by uh, three men. And it, it was a situation where usually um, it's very dangerous. It kind of happens a lot, it's very dangerous. And usually in that situation, it's not usually a good outcome. And uh, so in South Africa is a very uh, violent country. It's uh, one of the highest murder rates in the world, I think. So the whole, you know, the whole trauma of the country, the whole land, and all that's gone before um, has sort of accumulated in this level of, of uh, it's almost like a low, I wouldn't call it a war, but it's a low-grade level of violence um, that, uh, that you know, generates a lot of fear, a, a lot of paranoia, a lot of odd behavior. <laughs> 
And uh, so, you know, it's uh, something that, uh, that's <coughs> constantly in, in, in the atmosphere, in the, in, the, uh, in, the, um, you know, in the situation there. Anyway, this, this uh, woman that was hijacked and her husband, she was, she was a practitioner. And it became clear that after the hijacking that they were taken hostage, really, which can also happen um, uh, through the night. And it became clear that it was they probably wouldn't um, get to the end of the night and still be alive. You know, so the, the, the dialogue of the three hijackers was very much about murdering the people, taking their car, getting their bank accounts, all of that kind of thing, um, raping the woman. Um, so, you know, what was powerful for me to hear is how she dealt with that. Because if, you know, in that sort of circumstance, what would automatically be activated would be the fear, the you know, terror. And yet she just began practicing. She'd done a lot of practice uh, in the Tibetan uh, style of, of what's called Tonglin, which is just opening to, to suffering, opening to suffering, but taking the suffering on and extending compassion. Rather than being fearful of suffering, trying to push it away. It's just the, it's this bowing, it's this willingness to bow into, into the suffering. And actually that gesture gives the power and the strength. It looks like a weak gesture. I'm not bowing to anyone. <laughs> uh, but actually it's a very, it's uh, as our friend Ananda, the monk, when he bowed into the anger, was able, in the moment it just transformed. So this bowing, the, the, the transmutation of the suffering, when we know our ground as awareness and not the activity of the, of the suffering or the hindrances or the challenges, then we know a place of fearlessness, we know a place of strength. So this, this tonglin, this practice of, of bowing into the suffering, embracing it, breathing with it, taking it, resonating it, and without e- it's the nature of awareness to generate. It's not, you, it's not you as a self doing it, actually. It's the nature of awareness to generate compassion, to respond. It's its nature to respond with, with compassion. So this woman, during the night, she was, she was really, like, really with the level of pain and suffering that had brought these men to that action. You know, which was a personal thing in terms of people, but it was fed into the whole dynamic of the country. You know, this, these things are interdependent, interrelated. And she just was breathing with the, the hatred, the fear, the violence through the night, through the night. And at a certain point, one of the men tried to rape her. He couldn't pull it off, he was a bit drunk. And she was just doing this practice with this guy, with these other men. And in the morning came, and she was doing it for the husband who was freaking out. <laughs> and she just was, and as she was doing it, she got calmer and calmer and stronger and stronger. And in the morning, the, the three guys just got tired and let them go. But what was interesting, before, before uh, they released the couple, uh, the guy that would try to rape the woman just turned to her and just went, thank you. Left. That's it. 
the recognition. There's something in his consciousness recognized that something was happening. You know, there was this transmutation, transformation of the energy, of the, of the violence, of the fear. Hopefully we won't have to be tested in the, the old monks of the Thai forest school, they would go into jungles to meet with tigers to test the power of their metta. <laughs> I imagine if they didn't come out the other end, then they weren't up to scratch. <laughs> they didn't turn up for their arms food the next day. Well, he wasn't there. <laughs> Hopefully we won't you know, have to be tested or um, you know, in the jungles of Thailand or Johannesburg. <laughs> but we're being tested in the jungle of our own heart, <laughs> our own mind. It can feel difficult enough. So, you know, in this, this cultivation of what we've been doing, not to underestimate, even though it doesn't maybe, you know, it does seem a bit of a slog, not to rest, underestimate the power of this gathering of attent- attentiveness, being able to be a little bit more embodied, and the power of awareness to reflect on the activity of mind, rather than becoming it or, or resisting it. And in that process, to have moments of knowing directly the, the, through, as we listen, this activity of, you know, in the morning we've been bowing to Kuan Yin. Kuan Yin is the heart that listens, that's compassionate, that's receptive, that's hearing the sounds of the world. And knowing that awareness, that heart, it's listening now, it's listening tomorrow, listening yesterday, listening when we were in the womb, listening when we go through the death process, that heart of awareness, listening, that's fearless, that's unshakable, that always is, that we rest in as as our home, as our abiding. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.